everyone. It's Nahum Siegel with another edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent guests we've had on JM in the AM. Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone joined us from Joma recently to discuss uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone, a recent guest on JM in the AM. Here she is on the JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. JM in the AM. Pesach is right around the corner. And there's a lot of priorities. We're talking about chesed. We're talking about what people need to do between now and Friday. We're talking about Tanis Bechorim being tomorrow. We're talking about Badika's Chametz being tomorrow. There's a lot to do. But folks, there is one thing you need to do that really should be on your pre-holiday list. If it's not on the pre-holiday list, it better be on the list either during or after the holiday. And I think you know what I'm talking about. We have been speaking about the importance of vaccination. I could tell you as someone who has been vaccinated, the freedom that I am feeling. Being able to go somewhere and know that I'm at least protected. To know that if God forbid, God forbid, I test positive for this terrible disease, 99% chance I will not be hospitalized and not get anything serious. And that's a really good feeling. We've been asking the people from Joma... Uh, to join us at different times over the last few weeks. Um, the um, Where am I here? There we are. Uh, we've been asking people from the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, JOMA, to join us just to reiterate how important it is for the community, but for the individual as well, to be vaccinated and to incorporate the vaccine into your schedule as soon as possible. Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone is with us live via telephone, assistant professor at the NYU School of Medicine in the Department of Infectious Disease and an advisor in the uh, JOMA organization on the Preventative Health Committee. And uh, she can shed some light on this topic, no doubt, for all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, Doctor, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm sure you get it, but uh, can you convey to everybody just what I mean when I say freedom? Just what what I mean when I say that there's a certain atmosphere that I'm now traveling in because I feel protected now that I'm vaccinated? Yeah, I think that's really the most important thing to emphasize is that that feeling that you're you are protected. You do have freedom. You have freedom in your life to see the people who you really want to see. You can, for those people who are already vaccinated with you, you can see them without masks. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it really changes your life. It just changes the way in which you go around. Um, I can tell you for myself, you know, I have children and I, I just feel a little bit more comfortable in taking them out places at this point. Yeah. And I, I, uh, and I think, you know, even, you know, being at shul and, uh, you know, being with our community, I think that also, you know, I've certainly I've gotten back to shul. I was away for quite some time. My husband has gone back as well. And it's just been such an important part of our lives to, to be back yeah. um, and to really be participating fully in the community. No question about it, and I think people who um, who might be skeptical, you got to try it. Try it. You'll see what I mean by freedom, everybody. Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone is with us live via telephone. Our friends from Joma encouraging everybody to get that vaccine as, as soon as possible. 
Look, you're an expert in, in preventing infectious disease, and, uh, and, and you're part of the uh, advisors uh, of the uh, preventive, preventative Health Committee for JOMA. Um, am I being accurate? I'm just a regular guy, so I need your confirmation. Am I being accurate that at this point, if God forbid, because we know people who get the flu shot do get the flu sometimes, if God forbid I'm, I test positive, and thank God I never have in the last year, at least I know that I have a 99% chance of never going to a hospital, of never having the severe symptoms, and, you know, may take a day or two or, or you, know, you know, who knows what may happen over those 24 or 48 hours. But, you know, relatively speaking, I'll be back on my feet at full strength pretty quickly. Does that sound accurate to you? That sounds accurate. And I think, you know, what we have to have in mind is that this virus will be with us for some time, uh, you know, years probably. Um, and at this point, eradication may not be a reasonable goal, meaning like right. we can't eliminate it from our population right at this point. But what we're really trying to do with these vaccines is prevent the complications, prevent the, the, the hospitalizations, prevent the severe disease, the pneumonia, yep. uh, all of the complications that ensue when we have SARS-CoV-2 or can ensue when we have SARS-CoV-2. And I think that, you know, the, all of these vaccines do that. All of them prevent severe disease. There's been a lot of talk about the variants and, uh, you know, those variants, do they reduce vaccine efficacy? Some do, uh, some don't. I, I think that that's the answer. But even that, uh, even if we see the, the rates of mild disease in people who've been vaccinated go up a touch, I think it's so worth getting this vaccine because you're, you're really going to be able to respond much more effectively to it. And it's, it's you know, you will have mild disease and it, it's, uh, the, the severity will be diminished. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're looking for. Exactly. I mean, you know, there, there are people, like I say, you know, who, who suffer from the flu. And, you know, after a couple of days, they're back on their feet. And obviously the flu shot is not foolproof completely. But where this notion came from that, you know, these, these, these wild side effects that, you know, I mean, people joke about growing a third arm. And I get they're not serious when they say that. But I don't know the, the reputation for this vaccine in terms of what it potentially could do to you. I mean, I, I think we could safely say that at the worst, it would be ineffective, right? I mean, that would be the yeah, worst that thing. that would be the worst. <laughs> yeah, and it's not. It's quite effective. And it's quite effective perhaps because it does give you that, that reactogenicity um, is what we call it. Your body reacts to the vaccine. It's, right. it's, it's, it's revving up. It's, your, your immune system is working. That's why you may feel out under the weather for a day, you know. Yeah, but by the way, after my, after my, I'm glad you brought this up. After my first vaccine, I told this to the audience. After my first vaccine, for about four days, I just didn't feel right. You know, like I went to work and, thank God, made it through the day, no problem. But I just didn't feel right. And if that's the, the yeah. price, if that's the price you pay, so for, but you're making a larger point, and that is if you, if, if you knock home went through that, that tells us that your body was reacting well to the vaccine. Exactly, exactly. So, and again, if you, even if your body does not have that reaction, and, right. and many people do not, people, right. many people feel, you know, very, very mild side effects, if any. That does not mean that your body is not responding. I do want to make that clear. Right. So like some people worry that, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I felt fine. <laughs> right. And they <laughs> worry that the vaccine was not working. Uh, but it is, it is. There's just, you know, there's a heterogeneity in, in this, this reaction to the vaccine. And I think that there, you know, but... Regardless, you're going to feel 
much better. <laughs> your your the amount of time yeah. that you're going to feel under the weather because of the vaccine is likely going to be much less than if you actually got SARS. Yeah, and, and if part of a good health is what's up here, and I'm pointing to my head, then believe me, uh, you'll feel relieved and, like I say, much more mm-hmm. much more free and uh, and uh, and just a complete feeling of relief once you have that vaccine, everybody. And trust me. The whole mental aspect of this COVID thing for the last year is a really important one. There's no question about that. Uh, Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone is with us, assistant professor at NYU School of Medicine, Department of Infectious Diseases, advisor for JOMA and the Preventative Health Committee. JOMA, the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, trying to educate all of us about the importance of taking this vaccine. Further information, you can go to JOMA.org, J-O-W-M-A.org, the patient EDU tab. At the top of the page is very helpful. The patient EDU tab at the top of the page. Now, obviously, you deal in your line of work, doctor, uh, with, with many communities. I mean, you're, you're meeting people. You know, you're in New York. You're meeting people from everywhere uh, and every background uh, every single day. But c- can you make any observation regarding our community? Do you get the feeling anecdotally that, that we are making progress and spreading the word and getting more and more people uh, to be less hesitant regarding the vaccination? I do, definitely. I do think that that word is spreading. I do have people who, you know, I know in my personal life who were, you know, hesitant, wanted to see how things went out, went with the rollout, didn't want to be the first teachers to get vaccinated. And I think that we see now that, you know, more and more more people are are making that step to protect their health and the health of the others around them. Uh, And really to sort of return to, to a normal life. You know, another one of the benefits that I can say about getting a vaccine is, you know, now when you're exposed to somebody who has SARS-CoV-2, um, you know, you you really may not need to quarantine after that close contact, um, you know, depending on what the situation is. But, you know, I think that that there's much more freedom once you get this vaccine in, in your work, in your personal life. Uh, and I, I think that people see that now. And I, I think they're making the shift. Oh, by the way, you must you must be completely behind what Madison Square Garden did. Because they used to, when they opened up, it was all about the, you know, the negative PCR test. They have just announced mm-hmm. that they're going to let anybody who has proof of vaccination in, and that's that's a big step. Yeah, that's a big step. It's a big step, and it's you know, we all want to, we all want our economy to start picking up. Yeah. We all want, you know, to to increase the vibrancy uh, with which we live and in which our community can live. And this is the, this is the way to do it. Uh, Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone. First of all, I'll take this opportunity to wish you a Zisin Pesach. But uh, but no joke. What I said earlier, uh, even if it's Cholamoid, even if it's during the holiday, people should really make an effort to do this as soon as possible, right? Yeah, exactly. And I one of the the reasons why you know we're under some, uh, you know, we want to do it as soon as possible. It it is for yourself, yeah. um, but it is for everyone. I mean, the, yeah. the faster we can get everybody vaccinated, the faster our collective or our community viral load is going to go down, the fewer variants that we have taking off, and the better off we'll be as a, as a you know, as a community, as a city, as a, you know, community, as a population. So I think that that's, that's also something to think about. You're contributing to the greater good when you do this. Hey, look, thank God this Pesach's going to look a lot different than last Pesach did. Thank God. <laughs> and you're in the hospital, I can imagine. I mean, I'm sure you have a million stories about what last Pesach looked like. Thank God the, yeah. ho- the holidays, we're not there 100% yet, but thank God it's going to look a lot different than it did last year. Ken, thank you enough yeah. for joining us. Have a wonderful holiday, and uh, and thanks so much for being with us this morning. 
Oh, thank you so much. Have a wonderful holiday. Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone, um, information, go to the JOMO website and start, if you haven't started yet, start spreading the word and make your vaccine appointment. They're, they're opening it up. There's so many places now. Someone I know went this morning. Listen to this. For those of you who think you have to wait hours for the vaccine, where am I here? I got to read you this. For those of you who think you have to wait hours for the vaccine, I had a similar experience to this. I just got the following text. I walked in at 820. This is at the Javits Center. I walked in at 820, had the shot in my arm at 830. And I had a similar thing right in the, in the middle of the day. I think I walked in like 130 and I was back in an Uber like, you know, 14 minutes later. And it's a big facility with a lot of walking. Anyway, get it done. Information, go to joma.org, J-O-W-M-A.org. The patient EDU tab at the top of the page is very, very helpful. Simple as that. That was my conversation with Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone. Next up, Rabbi David Bashevkin. He's got a brand new book out that we had an opportunity to speak about before Pesach, a very interesting book and very humorous one. Here's my conversation with Rabbi David Bashevkin on a recent edition of JMNAM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, he's proven uh, over the uh, last few months to be one of the toughest people to get a hold of, but somehow, this is what happens when you have a great staff, when you have an amazing uh, producer and manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, and I got to thank Miriam L. Wallach because somehow she was able to track down and convince our next guest to actually come on the air, which is amazing. He is the author of the brand new book entitled Top Five Lists of Jewish Character and Characters, uh, as seen in the pages of Mishpacha magazine. He is the education director for NCSY, and he is one of the most interesting people we've ever had on the air. And that's why I get frustrated when I... Uh, have trouble booking him for the uh, airwaves because I believe that uh, both myself and the audience are missing out. With that introduction, Rabbi David Bashevkin, welcome back to JM in the AM. What a joy to be here. And with that introduction, I thought you were introducing like Yaakov Shweki. I think your audience is going to be very disappointed that it's just me. I got to be careful oh, I got to be careful what I say about you and I certainly have to be careful about criticizing your inavailability at times because uh, you do have books and articles like the one I'm holding in my hand and uh, if you like somebody they can they can be worked into some of these clever lists in fact uh, my family is quite proud that some of my accomplishments have made their way into your unique lists that have appeared in Mishpacha magazines I gotta change my tone a bit and say thank you to you the Nachum Siegel and the Nachum Siegel Network is one of our favorite characters to reference in our top five list. That is a privilege. He's going all in, folks. He's going all in, <laughs> to say the least. Anyway, uh, I, I got to ask. First of all, are you still doing this for Mishpacha, or this was an era that you know was was you know that started and ended at some point? What's going on now with the articles? That's a great question. This is the close for now of this era. I felt like I had said the main piece that I wanted to say and bring some smiles to some Jewish faces uh, across the world through Mishpacha magazine. So for right now, um, it, it was, it was, it, it, this is the canon, so to speak, of my uh, time in top five, but who knows whether I'll be back in the pages. I still have wonderful relationships with uh, Shana Friedman and Nomi and uh, Srili Besser, the whole Hevra. 
at Mishpacha Magazine. But They're still the, very dear friends. But the truth, I mean, look, you know, I, I, I can't imagine how many people have said, oh, you know, this is the book I always wanted to write because everyone thinks they're an expert on the subtleties of being Jewish, right? Which essentially this is what it is, right? It's the subtleties of what goes on in our community from so many different angles. But the fact that you, but the fact that you were able to figure out, I mean, I don't know the exact number, maybe you have it, but I mean, we're talking about a hundred or more lists of different categories. All the holidays are covered and all the different, you know, Jewish events are covered and our Jewish lexicon is covered and what goes on during a traditional Jewish summer is covered. I mean, to, to me, that's the brilliant part that you were able to do this for so long and come up with so many different categories. This um, this is a system that had to crash. That had a lot of imitators, which I love and I appreciate, <laughs> but it is very hard. you got to sit in a room. I always tell people who would kind of roll their eyes and say, oh, cute top five list, you know, and kind of like make, make, make it diminish it a little bit. I'd always say lock yourself in a room for six months yeah. and try to write one. Yeah. These were – what I found is that writing these were like writing little mini uh, – Skits, almost right. like, uh, can I even mention this, like skits for Saturday Night Live. Right. You have to write like a little mini skit and, and by the and way, that slice and, of life. And you're leaving out one of the most stressful parts of it, and that is that in a lot of cases for you, I don't know about others, but in a lot of cases for you, getting the first two or three are pretty easy. Then four and five could drive you nuts. Uh, four and five always knocks you out. But you know yeah. what? That's why... The wonderful Hebra on social media, right, Twitter, they, help, right. they would all come in, and, and then it became like a communal effort. Then right. everybody's chipping in and doing their part, and this really, the book was a product of all these lists that brought smiles to faces, which is really what we're trying to do here. Uh, was a group effort. It was. It takes a village to write a top five list. It's an Israel bookshop release. They were the publishers brave enough to do this, folks. It's an Israel bookshop release. I don't know if someone could still get it by Erev Yontif, but certainly by the last days they can get it. And those who are visiting Judaica, it's in Judaica stores, right? Oh, it's in every right. Judaica store. So, Israel bookshop are incredible distributors, so and if, it should be in every major Jewish bookstore. So if you're visiting a Jewish bookstore, a Jewish Judaica store today or tomorrow, folks, take my advice Put this on your list. It's called Top 5 Lists of Jewish Character and Characters. Rabbi David Bashevkin is the author, as seen in the pages of Mishpacha magazine. And uh, I guarantee you one thing. In the 73 hours of Shabbos and Yontif that's coming up, you'll find an hour to sit with your family and just have a good time. Uh, that's what happened, by the way, in our house. When you sent me the book, we were in the living room one Shabbos and just, you know, going through everything. And <laughs> there's a lot of material here. I mean, you have a unique way of pointing out the funny and interesting parts of the Jewish community. So, Well, you just traumatized me by reminding me that 73 hours of uh, Shabbos. I like that you have that figure at your fingertip. Are you kidding me? Uh... <laughs> Uh, of course we do. Believe you me. Uh, by the way, I, I don't know if you have the book in front of you or not, but the photograph on page 30 is now our official David Beshevkin photograph. That's going to be the one that we're going to be spreading. <laughs> <laughs> You're referring to a picture of a man in a bunny costume. That is correct. For many years. Because you went ahead, because you went ahead and, you, and you put it in context by uh, including it in the Purim page. We, of course, will publish it out of context and, and insist this is what you look like year-round. <laughs> Exactly. Objects uh, objects in book may look a little more perfect than they appear. That's can, not my regular uh, everyday costume, you, I assure you. You could say that again. David Beshevkin's with us. By the way, I mean, I've, I've limited time, and I want to get to a couple of things having to do with Pesach in the book, but I just got I mean, 
in all serious, are, are you are you a regular reader of the Jewish magazines? And I'll and I'll tell you why I'm asking you in a second. But are, are are you do you still delve into them every week, or you find yourself going off and on with them? Like, what do you? Well, how would you? My conf- my confession is that beginning in January of this year, for the first time, I started Dafyomi. Wow! I actually started writing a new series. Uh, not for Mishpacha, for Tablet Magazine, where I write a thematic essay on every Mesechta wow. uh, when they finish it with Daf Yomi. So I just came out with Pesachim. You can find that on Tablet. But what I, what starting Daf Yomi has done has totally eaten my leisurely Jewish magazine time. So Wait I a second. Wait a second. There, has, but... has it taken away from your listening to Jam and the Am time? Oh, God forbid. You know that. I, <laughs> I don't miss an episode. Please. Oh, thank God. By the way, by the way, what does it what does it say about Tablet that they want a Dafyomi essay? That's pretty cool. My first essay was actually about that, how this cycle of Dafyomi, and, and it's something that not everybody appreciates, and, and I understand the hesitance. I wrote about it, the embrace of Dafyomi yeah. in not just in Orthodox and non Orthodox spaces. It's amazing, and and I think it's something very special that they kind of see this as the collective voice of the Jewish people, and they're recreating it now, and it's a privilege to be a part of it with them. I uh, the, the reason I asked you about the magazines, and, and trust me, folks, I am a fan of the Jewish magazines. I know a lot of families love them, but just sometimes, not always, obviously, sometimes I'll see a cover story on the Jewish magazines, and then I re- and then I, I buy it. I say, oh, that, that's, that's something I'd like to know more about, and I just, I don't know, I just, I just didn't get, you know... I, I I was looking for more juice, for more meat. You know what I'm saying? Like I, 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 I was I was looking for more hawk, if you know what I mean, Rabbi Bishop. Yeah, I think if you're looking for hawk, uh, the real hawk, that might not be the right destination. There's uh, there's something very uplifting and beautiful about what some of them have done. There's some I've I've just never ever opened up. Right. But I think Mishpacha has created something very very special. All right, give me one way. That your mother lets you know that it's almost time for Pesach. Let's see how well you remember the book. Go ahead. Well, give me one way that your mother lets you know that it's almost time for Pesach. I'll, I'll, I'll give you two. Number Good. one is when we would open up the freezer from top to bottom would be covered in string cheese. <laughs> it looked like my mother was starting a string cheese gamach. Like she was just like, Mom, Why is Pesach string- is a week. <laughs> We've got enough string cheese to last us through the millennium. Why, why is string uh, cheese the go-to snack? you got to ask yourself, why is string cheese the go-to snack on Pesach? It's the ultimate Cholomoid Lunchable. <laughs> because, like, on Cholomoid, you go on the trip, you want something individually wrapped, just throw in three string cheeses, call it lunch for the family, and it just became, like, the official Cholomoid snack. I love it. What's the second one? My mother was very competitive. And the way, you know, like kids talk about, like, oh, what did you get on the test? I got an A. What did you get? I got a 90. My mother would give us updates on the entire neighborhood where they were up to on turning over their kitchen. She would be, oh, Rita, she already captured her microwaves. And, you know, down the block, the Sun and Blicks, oh, they already turned over the whole basement is coaching for pace. That, that, she would have, like, tabs on the whole community. That, that was the way she kept the pressure on, huh? Oh, uh, she kept the pressure on. It was like, no, it was, it was the kid in class who goes around knowing what every grade everybody else got. I love it. panic for us. Give me one of the top five ways, according to David Bashevkin, to make, to make an engaging Seder. Give me one of them. 
it's it's counterintuitive, but don't come up with just new things to say every year at the Seder. Repeat yourself. Find an idea that you love, fall in love with it, and say it every single year at your Pesach. Do you do that? Do you do that? Absolutely. Not only do I do it, I heard from my dear friend Simcha Willig that Rabbi Willig does it also. There's something about making the Seder like building that culture and that reflexive, predictable nature of the Seder by repeating yourself. We come in every year with 80 Haggadahs, and you could come in with a new Haggadah. But repeat, find a central idea that you can repeat every year to make the Seder recognizable and familiar to your wow. children. By the way, um, when my kids went to get you know all the Pesach boxes out you know from where we keep them during the year, I said to them, don't bring the Haggadah boxes. We're only going to use the Haggadahs that we actually have in the apartment, you know, in, in the bookcases, etc. Exactly. So I went ahead, I collected all of them, figured, you know, what do we have, 10 that you know I didn't put away in the boxes? I am drowning in Haggadahs. I mean, you, you cannot imagine. You, it's amazing, by the way. Isn't it amazing? I discussed this with Shirley Besser when the um, – which I got that just came out, Hassam Sofer. Hassam Sofer. I discussed it with him. I said, "Isn't it amazing how?" And, and I know that obviously I'm exaggerating, but half of the books that we own as Jews are Haggadahs. What does that say about Pesach? What does that say about the special night of the Seder? Isn't that amazing? It's, it's exactly that. But we're, the, every generation needs their Haggadah, and that's yeah. what I think makes this Yanta so beautiful. That's true. That's true. Uh, top five here. Here you have a top five Pesach Seder participants, and you call one of them the guy who's too old for the Afi Komen. Is that a problem? Is there somebody who's, uh, it's who's... a huge problem? <laughs> At a certain point in your life, yeah. you have to stop having so much fun trying to steal the Afi Komen. You hit the age. You know what I'm saying? If you're back from Eretz Yisrael for the year, you're 21, or you're like it, you're you're a young couple. It's no longer cute and fun for you to be the person to steal the Afikoma. I would leave it to the little ones. And by the way, just just uh, just to uh, clarify, uh, in the Bashevkin home, the one who recites the Madishtana must stand on a chair, or it's acceptable, and the minig is fine if he or she sits at the seder table and says the Madishtana. We start on a chair and wait for the child to begin crying, and then the custom is to remove them from the chair. It's got to be fun. At least the kazais of tears, though, I love before it. we remove them. Then you have the top five depictions of the four sons, which, if I'm not mistaken, this is like a serious list that you put together. Am I right about that or not? Like this is no, this is. I mean, this is. It's serious because I go through the Haggadahs. Right, different Haggadahs. I right. really go through what was going in my mind right. when I would see Haggadahs. Like I always loved. Remember that clay Haggadah that would use these claymation characters. Sure, that, sure. That's the one that I grew up with, and I always loved that the Russia in that picture <laughs> yeah. was wearing a clothespin <laughs> as an earring. <laughs> I just love that conception. A very like '90s grunge claymation character. Uh, it's like it's like the Rebbe used to say, right? The Russia's that guy wearing jeans on the corner, <laughs> who's, exactly. who's who's out all night on Friday night. And finally, you have the top five ways to spot a family on a Cholamoe trip. And I think this list is COVID friendly as well. And here's what you have: you have plastic shopping bags, a baseball cap, bazooka gum. A random mincha minion, and of course, as the uh, we said, the aforementioned 
string cheese. Have you gotten other recommendations about ways to spot a family on a Cholamoy trip? Or these five are, are really the five that belong in the... This is one where Twitter chipped in and somebody said, the way to find a family on a Cholamoy trip is if all the children ages three to nine are all wearing the exact same outfit. <laughs> <laughs> They're on full-blown Cholamoy trip mode. So when you're eating your string cheese or distributing it to the rest of the car on Tuesday, will you be thinking about this, that you're the typical Cholamoid family on a trip? I, I say a L'Shem Yichud before I give out string cheese on Pesach. There's no question about it. There's an actual prayer. The There's an actual preamble prayer that you say in order to prepare exactly. for, that, for the distribution. It's, it's a religious experience to give out string cheese on Pesach. It's almost as serious as I take the four cups of wine at the Seder. What would you do if someone did not use a plastic bag but went with one of those, you know, those new... Those, those new um, uh, I forgot what it's made out of. You know the a canvas. Yeah, like the, a can, fancy the can, canvas. the canvas reusable bag. Would that be acceptable on Cholamoid? No, no, that's not. That's not my Judaism. That's, that's a- not what my grandparents and <laughs> great grandparents. The custom is: you take a shopping bag from your local supermarket, you put that shopping bag in another shopping bag, yeah, and then you take all the individual shopping bags for each kid and put that in another shopping bag. <laughs> it t- needs to I be know. a total mess. You you wonder why these Cholamoid trips are so complicated? The Minhagim are impossible to keep up. With. They're very, very <laughs> difficult to minhug him, but that's the way to do it. <sighs> uh, the book is called Top Five Lists of Jewish Character and Characters, David Bashevkin. We are recommending it. If you're in a Judaica store over the next couple of days, pick it up. Your family will love it during Yuntif afternoon. That much I can promise you. And certainly, if you can't get it before Yuntif, they can enjoy it over the last days and uh, and really, really laugh about what we are. And what we do. After all, uh, David Bashevkin, isn't that what it's all about? Appreciating and laughing about what we are and what we do? Appreciating, laughing, and making sure you pick up the phone when Nachum Siegel calls you. <laughs> now, now that I, now that uh, General Manager Mary Mel Wallach uh, twisted your arm and got you to appear on the show, now I hope you'll be appearing more regularly, I pray. This is going to be a long teshuva repentance <laughs> process, but I guarantee it has already begun. I hope this works its way into your uh, pre-Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur uh, uh, essays that you'll be writing. The lessons, the <laughs> absolutely, le- the lessons you learned from this experience. <laughs> absolutely. Um, anyway, I wish you and the entire Beshevkin family a wonderful yuntif. I will be thinking of you during the seder as somebody decides to stand on a chair and chant. The Manishtana. And, uh, I, and I hope to report back to you that, in fact, everything over Pesach went the way it's supposed to go uh, with all these, um, you know, uh, all these nuances that uh, are incorporated into Jewish life during a holiday like this. Absolutely. A happy and healthy Freilich and Pesach. Chag Enjoy the string cheese. Thank you. Enjoy the string cheese is right. It's, am- it's amazing that we don't serve it at the Seder. Uh, David Bashevkin, everybody. On a, uh, what is today? Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi David Bashevkin. Mark Rosenberg is up next from Nefesh Benefesh. We had an opportunity to speak recently about what's happening now as we are one year into COVID. And uh, Mark Rosenberg joined us from Nefesh Benefesh to discuss Aliyah during the spring of 2021. Here's that conversation on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. A lot of people in touch with us today. Mark Rosenberg is in touch with us today. He is um, 
vice president of Diaspora Partnership and director of the Pre-Aliyah Department at Nefesh Benefesh. Nefesh is, uh, or has launched their Aliyah-inspired virtual event. You get an opportunity to explore the possibility of moving to the state of Israel. Even during these times, even when there's no mega event, is that possible? Can one plan on moving to Israel when there's no mega event? Mark Rosenberg, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Good morning to your listeners. How are you? Can one even think of moving to Israel if there's no Nefesh Benefesh mega event during the month of March? Just like we thought uh, it would be so hard to maybe stay home for this period of time, and we saw certain brachot in the reality of it, we have seen that there's an incredible silver lining that even though we can't have our our normal event with thousands of people in the New York, New Jersey area, we are seeing uh, uh, triple the engagement in that time. So we're going to have to think about whether we're actually going to have a physical program again in the future. So the answer is yes. we, We can facilitate the aliyah of thousands of people despite the fact that we are not gathering in person. Well said, Mr. Rosenberg. Well said. As much as people like me miss the mega event. By the way, I don't even know if you're allowed to go into certain details, frankly, and and whatever you can't say, obviously you're not going to say on the air. But in the last few months, there have been people who've been through a lot of interesting situations to actually make their aliyah happen. Uh, I mean, I know for a fact, and again, you don't have to address this specifically, but I know for a fact there have been some sensitive situations about families getting to Israel and establishing their lives at this time. There have been postponements and the flights. I don't have to tell you, the flights, you know, back and forth. You can never get a straight answer about who's flying and when and what airports open and when. Uh, So just as a general statement, would you agree that for those who've made Aliyah in the last few months, they have really endured a lot to make sure to uh, make this move for their family? Yes, that's actually been a very interesting twist of event. Uh, In the first nine months of this pandemic, it took us just a week or two to sort things out, and people were making Aliyah constantly. It was just ongoing, ongoing. But with the recent closure, now about six weeks ago, it really it caused the biggest obstacle. And I also think uh, one of the obstacles is the, the thirst for information and the desire to break through for people to come and visit family or, or just get here exasperated the situation of the, uh, of the bureaucracy as well. Unfortunately, there's the incident of people forging their PCR tests or forging their permission to get in the country, and that only caused it to be difficult. But Wow. It's it, it, the perseverance of those who, who are who are coming. We at Nefesh Benefesh were able to to coordinate an entire flight of Aliyah just uh, two weeks ago. So we had 190 people move through, um, and it's it's a lot of courage for each of those people who are who are moving forward, who are who are going to the airport, knowing that they might still get a call that the the test that they had to do before they fly was was positive or negative. It has definitely uh, caused a lot of angst, and, and it is our desire that it's going to end soon, and we can continue the normal flow of people coming and arriving in Ben-Gurion. Yeah, in history, uh, Jews getting to the Holy Land has not always been a smooth procedure. In fact, you've spoiled us at Nefesh Benefesh with just how smooth you've made it, but uh, if we're going to go with the norm, uh, with the average, with the mean of Jewish history, then... Uh, it is never easy, or or often it's not easy. Mark Rosenberg is with us. Aliyah Inspired is a month-long program with over 30 events where prospective Olim can meet with diverse groups of Olim from different backgrounds, ages, and experiences. 
These Olim will virtually welcome people into their homes as they share their Aliyah stories, challenges, and inspirations. The online seminars include a series of Making Aliyah Work panels where future Olim can hear from people in their field of work and how they've made Aliyah work for them. I mean, essentially, this is a month-long mega event. Essentially, everything that you would do in an afternoon or in a couple of days when you would visit the United States around this time of year, you basically are making this all available for a month, and people can go on and uh, essentially tailor-make their own mega event. So that, that was the idea behind it. It really was able to spread it out a little bit for people to digest. But interesting, Nachum, is that it also allows people to binge watch it as well. Right. We are seeing a, a great response in the attendance for it, but our, our, our YouTube use of the event is tripling the attendance that's on it just a few days afterwards. So people who want to wait to... Uh, you know, two weeks into it, are just to be able to drink up the inspiration and information as they wish, which is a really great uh, reality that's come out of this type of uh, program that we have. Yeah, and by the way, um, every time, I mean, often when you and, and other representatives of Nefesh Benefesh are on, we, we explain or you, you explain why this is a good time to consider Aliyah. For those who are now again in this transition point where, again, you know, employment might be a question mark. They might be hurting, heading in, in a certain direction and on the uh, heels of this pandemic. Uh, or if they've considered, you know, again, how working and, and socializing remotely is much more of a realistic approach because of what's happened over the last few months. Explain to everybody why now in March of 2021 is a good time uh, to consider making this move. Well, you've hinted at it, but I think it's it's much more personalized, and I think that's what's uh, so special about what we're able to do. If you were sitting in uh, Memphis right now or in Silver Spring, um, and you're like you, you really want to have a conversation with an Memphis Memphis representative, we were more inclined two years ago to say, okay, we're going to be coming in a month. Um, and that was going to be your access point to do. You always speak to someone on the phone, but to have that sit-down conversation. But we were able to really tailor-make our presentations for the large groups, of, for uh, if, they, if they want to have it, to have one-to-one conversation and have niche topics that are tailor-made. It was, it, it was difficult to have um, a nursing session, uh, helping nurses make Aliyah outside the New York, New Jersey area because there's, there is such a large concentration of people there. But now... Right. The nurses who are in South Florida or if they're in Chicago, they're also be able to engage it. And that's what we're trying to do is organize these specific employment topics or these specific tax planning issues and be able to follow it up as a one-two punch to make sure that people are going to get those tailor-made questions answered. You know, it's funny. You knew this would happen in general years ago that the best representatives for Aliyah would be those who have undertaken, you know, being Olim. But whoever thought it would be to this extent, whoever thought it would be where you'd be able to actually connect people, you don't have to fly them in to give seminars, you just connect them over Zoom or over the phone, and you have there the best representatives, I would say, uh, to uh, advise people and to guide them and to reassure them, right? People are nervous to reassure them that this is a really doable and good move. Uh, you, I, 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 yeah, yeah, it's totally true. I always tell people, I, you know, I'm paid to help people think about Israel uh, because that's my job at Nefesh Benefesh. But when you can actually see someone, whether it's from your neighborhood, uh, and we're doing a, a great session right before Yom Hatzul with about seven different communities to connect Olim from that community back with the community so they can hear the update of what's going on. 
but to see some of the some of the people you see make Aliyah tell their story and be able to ask questions really concretizes the reality of it. We're about to sit down to our Passover Seder, and I know you have your Siddharim, just in about six days, and we're about to sit down and tell our story, and we're going to revoke from the past the, the smells and sounds and taste of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And what we're trying to really do is bring a taste of those people who are sitting down to their dinner, uh, almost dinner time here in Israel, um, to give a taste of their life in Israel and bring it to people's homes. And, and that type of connection really infuses, um, infuses the Jewish people with energy and positivity. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's going to give them that extra push, the extra gasoline that's going to allow them to take that extra step yeah. in the Aliyah planning. And that, <laughs> that's what we're really trying to to get to give to our audience, and I, of course, I, of course, cynically am saying that as we, as we endure in Chutzlaaretz, as we endure the three day Shabbos and Yom Tov, because now I'm restricted by my listeners from seeing from saying three day Yom Tov. It's not an acceptable term yeah. anymore. Now, now that we're going to <laughs> endure the three day Shabbos and Yom Tov, uh, it will likely lead to some uh, conversations regarding heading to Israel in the near future. I just have a feeling. What can I tell you? So it might. Well, I definitely. I de- <laughs> Definitely agree with that. I think that the, the speed of communication, I think this is one of the things I just want to add, is I, I know that uh, I always have to tell my children, this year, when, when I was in Israel in a year that started with a one, okay, and those people who came to study or visit here, and the sports, stores, the sports scores came three days later, and sometimes people set cassette tapes or aerograms back and forth. The communication back and forth was so delayed, and, and, and it, it was hard to understand. And that's why we have the whole issue of Yom Tov Shani, like how, how are people going to find out about you know, the, the calendar in time. Right. Our, our, speed of, our speed of communication is so much quicker, and we can connect so much faster. And I think that's what we're, we're seeing people now reconnecting with this idea, whether it's at uh, uh, earlier or later stages in their life, about the possibility and logistics of moving to Israel. And we encourage people to join us uh, in this month of inspiration and, and get inspired by Aliyah, but also get the assistance to see if you can actually make that next step forward. I remember I have a nephew in Israel who, at a certain age, I mean, as a teenager, had no clue there were there was more than one Seder outside of Israel. He had no, you probably have kids that don't know that, right, or don't realize. I will it. ask them. I will ask them. I, I would. I would bet that they don't. That's unbelievable. That's the bracha I give everybody. I give everybody a bracha that you raise children who have no clue that there's such a thing as more than one Seder, because that means that you're in Israel. Simple as that. That's my bracha. Nefesh benefesh. Very, very easy to get in touch with them. NBN.org.il. NBN.org.il. Take advantage of this incredible month. All these seminars of making Aliyah work. The month-long program that's entitled Aliyah Inspired. Aliyah Inspired. That's what the month of Nisan does. It inspires us to do what our ancestors did. To get to the Holy Land as soon as possible. 866-4-ALIYAH. 866-4-A-L-I-Y-A-H. NBN.org.il. NBN.org.il. When's the last time you had a second Seder? When's the last time you were outside of Israel for Pesach? Do you remember? Wow. Wow. Uh, 20 years ago. Well, 20 years ago. Where was it? In Pennsylvania? I think it was, no, Jersey, in South Jersey, probably my parents in uh, Exit 4 in Cherry Hill. Wow. Um, and I will say this to you, a lot of people, I'm sure some of your listeners hopefully will be nodding their head, they love the Second Seder. They love the opportunities to spread out the Debray Torah and to have be with their family more. My brother in New Rochelle loves the three-day 
um, Shabbat Yom Tov. I like that new uh, way of phrasing it because it's more time with the family. It's more time to feel it. There's there's a lot of advantages to it, but it is really magical, as you know, to be here and to have that energy, that Eruv Hag feeling in this country. Um, I thank you for bringing me on because I get to stop my cleaning for a little bit. That the energies in this country uh, is, is really amazing, and we're thrilled to be able to share it and offer it to more and more people. Well, um, could you put those people in touch with me about liking the second Seder? I, I might, I might have some <laughs> some positive slash negative influence on them, but I think any negative influence on them would be positive, frankly. <laughs> so if you if you if you feel I could be of help, Mark, in this area, just uh, pass them my way. All right, you got it. Like the second Seder, I also like the second Seder, folks, to an extent. But I mean, come on. The whole basis for the second Seder, doesn't it drive you crazy that we're not in Israel for Pesach? Anyway, 8664-ALIYAH-NBN.ORG.IL, NBN.ORG.IL. You were changing what they used to. What did you, I, I, I interrupted you. Say it again. So I think that one of the things from the pandemic is that people are changing what they get right, used to. Right. And the That's second true. Seder is what they're used to. So That's if, you're, if you're shaking things up, uh, definitely one Seder in Israel great, is a great way to do it. Yeah, I hear that. Mark, always a delight. And I know that now I have a limited role because there's no megas and there's no need. There's no need. We'll be back for anybody. We'll be back in there's, person. There's, there's nothing will replace that 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 person to person contact. Well, it's, I, it's, I, we'll I guess I guess so. But you guys are doing a really good job getting to the people uh, directly. Nonetheless, Mr. Rosenberg, I pray that very soon you and I will reunite in the, reunite in the holy city of Jerusalem. The Korobi, amen, please God. Tadaraban, Chag Kasher, V'Sameach. More coming up. It is a Monday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with uh, Mark Rosenberg of Nefesh Benefesh. More coming up. Thanks for tuning in. Keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.